Chapter 24 The Third Path Loran moved down the curved hallway of the tower with practiced grace. For the first year of her tendency among the ivory towers, she had regularly gotten lost, for the corridors and walls were not straight, but rather curved to fill their outer shape. Slowly, she had stopped thinking in terms of north and south, and instead estimated in terms of distance from the tower center and the angle from the entrance. Now the towers were no longer an enigma to her. The Archimandrite had noticed her growing assuredness, of course. She seemed to notice everything, and congratulated her on the matter. Drafna still rises from meetings, and heads for the wrong door, she said. Drafna was confused by many things, but proved to be brilliant with artifacts. He could postulate an entire artifact from the mere scraps, and was rarely incorrect in his assessment. As he poured over Tocasia's notes, he occasionally reminded Loran of the young Urz and Mishra, so intent was his desire for understanding. On a daily level, Drafna proved to be a trial. He regularly disagreed with whatever the majority seemed to prefer. Were it not for Hercule, he would have left the Union long ago. Hercule held the leash, and Loran soon realized many of Drafna's discoveries were in fact made by her and only relayed through the balding scholar. She was a timid woman, almost to the point of being invisible. In the three years Loran had been at Teresia City, she had heard the woman complete a full sentence only three times. In many ways, Hercule reminded Loran of herself as a young woman. City life seemed to agree with Hercule. She, her husband, and all their students back in Latinam apparently had shaved their heads because the school was mostly underground and shaving all body hair kept the lice at bay. Since staying at the ivory tires of Teresia City, Hercule had allowed her hair to grow out and proved to have thick, luxurious tresses that caught the light like strands of obsidian cord. Drafna had returned to Latinam several times, but Hercule always remained. The Archimandrite was the center of the Union, but Hercule was one of the keystones of that group, as well as Feldon, and despite himself, Drafna, and Loran had come to recognize herself as well. The halls were full of lesser scribes and scholars as she wended her way to Feldon's private sanctuary. The city was quickly becoming a refuge for those individuals who saw their work threatened elsewhere. Most were from the lands bordering the Falaji Empire, but there were numerous expatriates from Zigon, Tomakul, and other Mishra-held cities. To Loran's surprise, there were some from Corlys and Yodia as well, and some dwarfs from the Sardian Mountains who did not trust Urza and the Argivians. There also had been an infusion of charlatans, tricksters, hoaxers, and outright frauds. Yet for every three such con men and con women, there was an individual who carried a useful device, an old scroll, or something that added to the growing body of knowledge kept in the tower. Lorraine would have evicted the lot of them, but the Archimandrite had taken them in, and the Union was stronger for it. Then, there was the Brotherhood of Gix. Their order of black-robed monks venerated some sort of machine god, which should have made them invaluable in working with ancient artifacts. But their love of artifacts approached fetishism, and they were continually judging both the artifacts and those who used them. To those careless enough to ask, they explained at length that they held Urza and Mishra both unworthy of the great devices they had built, and believed the two would be punished for their effrontery. The Brotherhood left little doubt that it had the same opinion of Drafna and herself. As a group, they seemed to be holding something back as well, listening to everyone, but saying little in response, save to offer praises to the machine. Feldon had brought back with them some seers from Serenth and shamans and witch priests from the Yuvok nations of the mountainous northern coast. These last were heavy men with shallow skin, sweating profusely beneath their furs and seal-hide capes. Lorraine could see why Feldon got along with them, for both he and the Yumak priests were uncomfortable in the warmth of Teresia City. The Archimandite brought the scholars and librarians of her city. They ranged in quality and temperament, from enthusiastic bibliophiles to hidebound book straighteners. The latter would rather die than let anyone open their cherished tomes 
and risk the information within escaping. Still, with kind words and a steely will, the Archimandrite pried their holy text from their hands. There was one bitter disappointment. The song mages of Sumifa refused the offer of the union. Instead, they had thrown in with Mitra and were using their skills in his service. I don't see why that's a problem, Drafnot said upon getting the news. The Sumifans, all Almazians, for that matter, are an irritating people at best. Their language is filled with trills and warbles, and it's hard to understand them. They have a version of old knowledge, said the Archimandrite calmly. Their songs carry some sort of power, and to some degree, savage beast. Huckum, snorted Drafna. Perhaps, responded Loran, but there might be truth behind their claims, some natural effect we are missing. There might be something we can learn from them. If there is anything at the core of their teachings, said Drafna, it is wrapped up under so much folderol and mummery that it's generally useless to us, like that machine got out of the Gixians. Now there's a bad lot. Creepy fanatics with delusions of mechanical utopia. They're just not all here. The scholar tapped his bald pate repeatedly for emphasis. Feldon usually started frowning the moment Drafta opened his mouth. Now he slapped the table with an open hand. Don't dismiss the song mages out of hand. Just because we don't understand a phenomena doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Drafta turned frosty. I find it hard to believe that music truly calms the savage beast. That's all. I find it hard to believe in men flying in Thran artifacts, snapped Feldon, or in mechanical dragons for that matter. But we live in a world where they exist, and I, for one, want to be prepared for them. Now, at Feldon's door, that conversation came back to Loran. Feldon and Drafna had become opposite poles in their discussions. Was that why Feldon had asked her to come to his personal study, as opposed to bringing something before the entire group? She knocked, and a heavy voice bade her enter. Feldon's study was Spartan, a low table piled with books in orderly fashion. A few chairs around a low table, and a small slate board along the wall. The room was lit by a single window. The heavy bear of a man was seated before the table, which was clear, but for one item. Did you hear the news? Lorraine asked as she entered. Feldon glanced up with a haggard look. About Yodia? Drafna told me about it at breakfast. It's ancient history already. Lorraine nodded. Even rumors took their time traversing the length of the Falaji Empire, but some refugees from Zigon had arrived in the city the previous evening with important news. Urza made his move across the Corlys Yodian border and was liberating cities from the overmatched Falaji. Ancient history, said Feldon. By the time news reaches us, what's his name could be in Tomokul. Or have been stopped by a counteroffensive, noted Loran. But you did not ask me up here to discuss the news from the battlefront. What's wrong? What do you make of this? The layman asked, motioning Lorant forward. You mock fishermen brought it up with their nets. The same group that delivered the coral helmet a year ago. It was a cross between a bowl mounted on a thick pedestal and a squat wide-rimmed goblet. The bowl was about a foot across, with a pair of heavy handles mounted on each side. The bowl appeared coppers, but it was unlike any copper Lorant had seen before. The device reminded Lorant of a sacrificial bowl used by the old religions of Argive, it's called a silex, said Feldon, his eyes not leaving the bowl. At least that's what it calls itself, and it's from Golgoth, which I've never heard of either. You know what it is? asked Loran. Feldon tipped the bowl toward Loran. The interior of the bowl, which would normally be smooth, was covered with small incised figures that seemed to spiral before her eyes from the rim into the base. Its purpose is written on it, said Feldon. Loran narrowed her eyes. These are Thran glyphs, she said at last.
Feldon nodded. I can't read those characters, he said, then pointed to another curving line of characters. But these are Falaji characters, written in an arcane style that I can read. They resemble the song markings of the Sumifans, and these match the incisions on my cane. These, he pointed to a few other lines, are like anything I've ever seen. Do you know what they mean? A way of reading Thran, said Loran. A master cipher to a host of old languages. Feldon smiled. Indeed. If only the message it bore was not so grim. Loran raised an eyebrow. And it is? Feldon leaned forward over the bowl. I don't have all of it, but I think I have most of it. It's called a silence, and it's from Golgoth, as I said. Whether Golgoth is a land, a king, or its maker, I have no idea. It's supposed to herald the end of the world. Loran looked at Feldon and said nothing. Feldon shook his head. I know what you're thinking. Mummery and Claptrap. That's one reason I didn't bring it forward to the others. Drafna thinks I'm going to start hanging strands of burning incense and spinning prayer wheels any day now. But listen to the translation of the archaic Falaji. Wipe the land clear. Bring the ending. Topple the empires to bring a fresh start. And this. Call the end. Fill with memories of the land. Sounds pretty dense. Fill with memories, said Loran. Sounds like something out of a charlatan's patter. Old magics that required the whisper of a dying son and the smile of a cat. And wasn't there an old Falaji legend of a city in a bottle, which survived when the rest of the world was to be destroyed? Feldon looked up. You don't believe it then. Loran shook her head. I think this is a wondrous find, which will unlock many other mysteries for us. Perhaps it carries some warning of an ancient time. But no, I don't believe it. Touch it, said Feldon, leaning away from the bowl. Go ahead, touch it. Loran reached out and grasped the side of the bowl. There was an instant feeling of disquiet, as if the sun had suddenly passed behind a cloud, leaving her in shadow. She looked up, and the entire room seemed to have dimmed. Out of that dimness, she thought she heard a cry, the plaintive lament of a young child, though so faint that it was almost below her ability to discern. She released the bowl's edge, and the world returned to normal. The sun passed from behind the cloud, and the child's cry was gone entirely. You felt it too, said Feldon. Loran nodded and sat down opposite Feldon, the silex between them. There is something here. Something we don't understand yet, said Feldon. Is it a warning or a weapon? But what does it mean? asked Loran. Fill with memories. Has Hercule taught you any of her meditative techniques? inquired Feldon. She taught the Archimandrite, who passed a bit on to me, said Loran. But there are a number of meditative techniques used by scholars to focus attention and concentration ranging from the songsmith of Sumifa to... Feldon interrupted her with a hasty wave of the hand. But Hercule, our silent compatriot, what of her meditations? The Archimandrite said, She sits in the morning and thinks of her home in Latinam, of the azure-colored waves, white with froth, suspended over the shore before crashing down. I think it calms her to think of home, said Lorraine. While it is fresh in her mind, it keeps her from needing to return to her island. Anything else? asked Feldon. Loran shrugged. There have been some interesting incidents, she said. The Archimandrite mentions that after her meditating sessions, Hercules' course become neater. The books are shelved in their proper order, and her styli are back in their case. No one remembers putting them away, of course. You believe that? said the bear of a man gruffly. I think we need to research the matter further, returned Loran. If it was anyone else but Hercule, Drafna would be shouting from the parapets that it was all bunk and hokum. Yes, 
agreed Ferran. But have you tried the techniques? Have you thought about your homeland? Lorraine shrugged again. I don't really want to think about Argyff at the moment, or what is happening there. Yes, I suppose so, said the bear scholar. I'm going to have to learn that technique, I suppose. Sounds like it might be akin to filling something with memories of the land. Lorraine did not answer, but looked at the bowl. She reached out again for a moment, but did not touch it again. Feldon said, If it's a weapon, is it one the brothers could use? Lorraine shook her head. I don't think so. There's no mechanism here. No set of weights and cables. No obvious source of its power. All there is is a warning and the bad feeling that surrounds it. Feldon nodded. I agree. And yet, why do I feel so loath to tell the others about it? Lorraine concurred with the feeling. Tell the Archimandrite at least, she said. And make a parchment rubbing of the interior. The translations will prove invaluable to our work. Then put it in a safe place, secure from any would-be thieves. Just in case it is what it says it is. Feldon nodded again, but his eyes were on the silex. It's a little tempting though, isn't it? Wiping everything clear and starting again? Loran rose and paused at the door. Yes, she said. But your glaciers would probably melt. And then what would you study? Feldon allowed himself a weak smile. You speak the voice of reason. No matter how bad things are between Misha and what's-his-name, it hasn't gotten all that bad yet. Loran smiled as well and left Feldon to his studies. Outside the room, in the curved hallway, she touched the hand that held the bowl. It was numb, and feeling now was only starting to return. She flexed her fingers and tried to will the nerves to respond. Loran shook her head. It hadn't gotten all that bad. Yet.